0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Vivek podcast. For this episode, my guest is Mark Luther. He is the founder of Charter Cities Institute. In this conversation, we talked about Charter Cities, history of Charter Cities, current developments, Charter Cities Institute, and much more. I hope you enjoyed the conversation like I did. Here is the interview. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the Vivek podcast. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Okay, so before we jump into Charter Cities, can we please, can you please walk us through your background, how and when you got interested in this idea of Charter Cities and eventually forming Charter Cities Institute? Sure,
1: so yeah, interested in Charter Cities about 10 years ago, I was at a talk by Ben Powell, um, who mentioned a guy named Michael Van Donen, who tried to build a free port in Somaliland, and I thought this is a great idea. Uh, so I went down a rabbit hole, there was a small community of people who were interested in charter cities then, um, I went to graduate school at George Mason, I lived in Honduras for six months, wrote my dissertation on charter cities, and what struck me is that I think the kind of key determinant of long-term economic development is, is institutions, and institutions tend to be very difficult to change on the national level. But on a local level, um, particularly on a Greenfield site, it's possible to achieve much deeper institutional change than otherwise possible to set the stage for long run growth. So um, after a long time being interested in charter cities, three and a half years ago, I founded the uh, Charter Cities Institute.
0: Okay, okay, that's great. So what is the difference between charter cities, free private cities and special economic zones? Because these words get thrown around a lot in the same context. So what makes them different?
1: Sure. So uh, we define charter city as a new city with a special jurisdiction that allows it to adopt um, uh, uh, rules on the city level that are substantially different from the host country. And so, a classic example of this would be um, Hong Kong, where at least for a while it was governed uh, one country, um, two systems. Though so over the last year or so, that's that's been abrogated a little bit. And the idea being that a city would have substantial autonomy to determine things like labor law, environmental law, um, business registration, uh, taxes, et cetera, that could uh, create a a more attractive business environment. Um, My understanding is that free private cities, uh, the term is used uh, relatively similarly for charter cities uh, as charter cities. Um, Though my understanding is that free private cities has a little bit more of a uh, I guess the territorial element where there is a contract between the kind of government or service provider and every in individual citizen, well, the charter city doesn't require that contract, just requires a difference in laws from the host country and uh, the charter city. And the special economic zone is a widely used term, um, uh, but it tends to – the way we think about it is that many special economic zones tend to focus on relatively small areas. So I think just a few hundred hectares, Um, they tend to focus on single industries and they tend also to um, only have a a small amount of different laws than a charter city might. So a, a, a special economic zone might say, all right, what if we lower taxes or what if we make it slightly easier to register a business? Well, a charter city thinks, all right, what if we build a new legal system from scratch? how could that uh, be beneficial to attract investment to create jobs and to stimulate long-term economic growth?
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So, okay, let's start with the history of charter cities. So when this concept was brought into life first and are there any examples of charter cities in ancient history?
1: Sure. So the term charter city, at least as um, we're using it, is, uh, was originated by Paul Romer in 2019 when he gave a TED talk. Uh, he since won the Nobel Prize in Economics. He was chief economist of the World Bank. He was advocating for a high income country to um, administer a city in a low income country as a way to overcome some of the institutional challenges, uh, some of the challenges associated with rapid institutional change. Um, our model of Victoria City, our Version of a charter city is to have a private company come and develop the city and form a public-private partnership with the host country. Um, uh, I think it does, I mean, maybe not this specifically, but the kind of broad concept of charter cities does have a long history. Uh, if we think about uh, ancient Greece, Greece, Athens, Sparta, these were all city-states. Uh, the, the Phoenician, I guess, empire had a lot of city-states. Uh, right. City-states have been arguably the dominant form of political and social organization throughout human history, so there, there is a long history of independent or semi-independent cities. Um, we view charter cities as a kind of modern instantiation of that form of social organization, particularly at, the, at least at the Charter Cities Institute as um, a, a tool and form that can be used to accelerate growth in low income countries. And more recently, there are several projects that we sometimes refer to as proto-charter cities. Um, and these include things like uh, Singapore, Shenzhen, Hong Kong, and Dubai, all of which are independent or semi-independent and have experienced pretty substantial economic growth over the last um, 50, 60, 70 years.
0: Yeah. So uh, looking at the ancient history and the cities that were built in the Greek and Roman times, what led to the fall of those cities? Like and do we can we learn any lessons from those uh, those falling cities
1: so yeah i mean i think the 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 cities um, emerge based on local context so oftentimes they're on trading routes or there's some kind of natural advantage whether it's a harbor or a port uh that allows them to get gather goods from the hinterland to provide some form of processing, make pots, whatever it is, and then to trade those goods with with other cities. Uh, And then additionally, depending on the local context, oftentimes it is difficult to form a kind of cohesive national state. So the ancient Greeks, despite having an ethnic identity, never formed a national state. Uh, The Romans did, um, obviously, uh, in kind of creating the, the Roman Empire. That was much closer to a a modern state so there is a lot of um i guess different inputs that go into the what, what type of social organization is dominant at a particular time and a particular place uh, I, i'm not sure i'm an expert on kind of the ancient mediterranean so i i can offer general guesses but no no kind of highly thought through specifics about uh Why the Greeks and Phoenicians were city states, and the Romans were, and Ottomans were, were empires. Um, uh, But I I think, right, especially on trading routes, especially um, in navigable navigable bodies of water, that those tend to be where a lot of human settlements do occur.
0: Okay. Yeah. So. That makes sense. So coming on to the current time, what is the current state of Charter Cities? So there are some projects that are building on Honduras. So can you please talk about that and what role Charter Cities Institute is playing in making that happen?
1: Sure. So um, CCI, we're not playing a direct role in making that happen. We see our our role as kind of building the Charter Cities ecosystem. So creating a set of um, best practices, a set of knowledge, as well as Um, socializing uh, key stakeholder groups. So the international development, community governments, et cetera, to make them more open to charter cities. So Honduras has had charter cities legislation on the books for arguably 10 years. Um, From 2011, when Paul Romer helped pass legislation, that legislation was overturned by the Supreme Court. Um, New legislation was passed that is still in place. Uh, That is the Zeta legislation, I believe that was passed in 2013. And then about a year ago, the first, uh, uh, and I wouldn't really describe it as a charter city. I think a better term would be a charter town because a city, a charter city has these, I think, two important elements. One is the charter element, doesn't have a substantial degree of legal authority at the city level. The other element, and that the, the projects in Honduras do have that authority. The other element is the city angle, right? And a city uh, requires a, a population, it requires a degree of agglomeration. And none of the projects in Honduras currently have sufficient population to really be justified as a city. Maybe in 10, 20, 30 years, they might be cities depending on how quickly they grow. But um, if if an area has dozens of people there, I don't think it's fair to call it a a city. Um, And so what happened was, uh, Prospera was the first project in Honduras and they're going targeting um, on Roatan, a beautiful tropical island and have created a cutting edge legal system. Um, And they're mostly targeting remote workers um, betting on a platform model. And so what they want to do is create the legal framework that can then be used by other charter cities, charter towns and to expand like that. And to allow other groups to do a little bit more of the um, infrastructure side of the kind of build out while they they offer the platform to create um, the, the, the framework for economic growth. Um, in addition to Prospera, there is also Ciudad Morazán, uh, which is um, outside of Choloma, the San Pedro Sula Industrial Quarter, and they're targeting local residents, um, many of whom uh, are insecure because of the rampant violence that is in Honduras. So these people, oftentimes, they work in industrial parks or business parks, and then they go home, and in the industrial park or business park, they're safe because there's, uh, it's a gated entrance, when they go home, they're not safe. They can't walk outside with their phones. They sometimes won't leave the house after 7 p.m. when it's dark because of levels of violence. And so Ciudad uh, Morizan uh, is betting that by creating a safe environment, they can attract a lot of these people to be residents as well as attracting some uh, industrial parks uh, uh, um, and, and, and factories to invest and, and uh, build out there. They're, they're creating their own legal system as well. We helped a little bit with that, uh, giving them some advice um, uh, from our governance handbook, which will be published very shortly, which is a step-by-step guide to creating a new governing system from scratch. So we helped a little bit on that margin, but we we um, have not been particularly involved in uh, Honduras.
0: Okay. So can you say that like these two projects are the first, truly charter cities. They are not charter cities yet. They will evolve in maybe five, 10 years, but they are the first kind of charter cities in that direction, right?
1: Um, Arguably, I mean, there's an argument to be made that uh, Dubai, for example, the Dubai International Financial Center is also a step in that direction. I don't think it makes sense to draw clear lines. I see this as a continuum where what what maybe is accurate is that these are the first projects that really came out of what might be described as the Charter Cities Movement, which is a group of people who have been interested in these ideas who read similar books, who uh, share similar media consumption, who often see each other at conferences. And these are the first projects that uh, uh, arose out of those discussions, but they're right. Dubai International Financial Center also has a very high degree of legal autonomy. Uh, It it has existed for almost 20 years now, I think 15 years or 16 years. It has shown to be quite successful. Um, There are projects like Shenzhen, which uh, is much older than that, has 20 million people, and when Shenzhen was launched as a special economic zone, though called a special economic zone, it had many charter city characteristics including being 320 square kilometers, uh, including have a having a very high degree of legal autonomy. And so I'm not sure I would call the ones in Honduras the uh, first quote-unquote, though I do think they're a, a substantial step in the right direction.
0: Okay, so but the earlier was more led by the state itself in Dubai and in China, right?
1: It was led by the local government, yes.
0: Okay, and this this the first this this is the first one which is led by like a private company, right? Yeah, that's true. Okay, okay. So, which countries you think are more suitable for these projects, or like after Honduras, which countries you think will embrace it more?
1: Well, so those are two different. Those are two different questions. One is what countries will embrace it more, and the other is what countries, yeah. Um, have the best, I guess, underlying conditions. And one is a political question, the other is kind of a demographic and economic question. Um, Let's do the demographic and economic question first. So I think broadly, I I like to break it down as there being two different types of charter cities. One um, is what might be called uh, charter cities that push the frontier, um, and the other are catch up birth charter cities. So charter cities that push the frontier, that's something like Prospera, where they adopt the cutting edge in the regulatory regime. They try to attract uh, high human capital, uh, knowledge workers. They are really want to be at the cutting edge. A charter city like Ceylon Morizan is, is targeting catch-up growth. So thinking about how to attract people on the lower end of the income spectrum. Um, at CCI, we tend to focus on the latter. There are a lot of uh, charter cities that want to push the frontier or charter city projects in their early stages and we support them um, and want them to succeed, but we don't think we have a comparative advantage in helping, um, and we believe our efforts as a nonprofit are best spent helping our groups on the lower income segment. Uh, so if we think about the lower income segment, uh, what countries have the right demographics? Um, if we look at where most of the urbanization is happening, it's in Africa and Asia. Uh, there's over 75 million new urban residents annually, so that's a huge amount of new urban residents new urban spaces need to be built for them. Uh, and so we think about how to create these new urban spaces, both with physical as well as governance infrastructure that allow, can allow those residents to um, become more productive and to thrive in the global economy. Uh, and so what countries does that do those look like? Uh, ideally, it's countries that are growing, um, but not growing too quickly. Southeast Asia, for example, is growing at about 8% or more annually. Um, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, et cetera. And if a country is growing that quickly, then the uh, advantage of a charter city is very limited because historically that has been the highest growth rate in human history, 10%, but 8% is close enough. It probably doesn't make sense to, to do something new. Um, if a country is at zero or negative growth, it's probably too unstable for a charter city. Charter cities ideally have a degree of stability. So the ideal, I think, uh, type for of development or location for a charter city is a country that is rapidly urbanizing. So there is a demand for new urban spaces. Um, it's relatively stable, uh, growing at two, three, four percent a year, but it has a much higher growth potential if the right institutions can be on, in place. Ideally, it's on an expanding trade route, or perhaps has a, a, a resource that is increasingly valuable in the global market, so you can set up processing for that resource or uh, uh, take advantage of it being on that trade route, and then to really put the conditions in place to allow uh, accelerated economic development. So that's, I think, broadly how we uh, uh, think about evaluating locations. In terms of thinking about what countries are more like, most likely to adopt a uh, kind of charter city in the near future, um, I would pr- say arguably uh, Central America, maybe the Caribbean, because Honduras is close. And if any of the Honduran projects are successful, attract a lot of investment. Um, the, the, the countries in Central America or in the Caribbean will be watching quite closely, while Africa is not watching Honduras closely, it's just too far away, nor is most of Asia. Um, and so in thinking about what countries are most likely to adopt similar charter cities legislation, it's probably in, in that, um, slightly more close, uh, geographic region. We have seen some interest from countries in Africa, from countries in South America, but, um, it's, it's a little bit hard to give a definitive answer on which of those countries will be most likely to adopt the legislation in kind of the near to medium term future.
0: Yeah. Uh, But CCI CCI will most likely be focused on third world countries, right? Because you want to lift. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, so these charter cities are not sovereign because like they are uh, like the government will always have the upper hand. So don't you think like if these charter cities become successful, it is likely that these countries will come after the citizens or leaders of these charter cities to extract the money and resources they have built.
1: Uh, That's always a risk. There are ways to mitigate that risk. Uh, So historically, for example, um, governments always tie their hands in certain ways to attract investment and create environments. Uh, This was the origin of an independent court system that um, a court system that the government controlled uh, scared off investment. So governments in the late medieval era created independent courts. This is also how independent banks got started because bank, uh, uh, central banks, because central banks that were uh, controlled by parliament or directly by the government uh, tended to inflate um, uh, much more rapidly than independent central banks did. Uh, and so we believe that it is possible to create uh, semi-independent um, self-governing uh, cities within broader jurisdictions. Uh, uh, there's a long history of this throughout Europe. Um, the, the Hanseatic League existed with many of the cities being in the Holy Roman Empire, which was a larger uh, kind of, not what we would describe as a modern state, but this um, larger confederation where the, many of the cities in the Hanseatic League still enjoyed substantial uh, self-government on the local level. Um, there are also ways to embed the, um, to minimize the risk of expropriation from the host country. So first, you want to align the incentives of the government with the charter city. So what you can do is um, ensure that the charter city is accomplishing the national plans. Is ensure that um, uh, leaders, business leaders, political leaders, uh, civic leaders, etc., have an interest in the success of the charter cities. Whether whether this is uh, investing directly, whether this is uh, 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 opening a store, whatever it is, right? Get them to have a a skin skin in the game. Third, there are international treaties that can be used to uh, uh, minimize the the, uh, risk of expropriation, where if it is expropriated, you can sue an international court and if you win, you can confiscate overseas assets. These treaties are typically used for natural resources, but there is established case law and precedent um, that can be applied to charter cities. So there's no silver bullet, but there are uh, a lot of mechanisms that can be put in place to ensure uh, uh, continued um, local self-governance of the charter city that can make investors uh, feel secure enough to make those investments.
0: Okay. And what do you think of other way around? Like, Do you think these charter cities might affect the sovereignty of small countries in the future? Like if small countries adopt these kind of jurisdictions or they allow... Charter cities, then it might be a sore threat for them.
1: Uh, what do you mean by that?
0: I mean, like, if chartered charter cities become successful in small countries, they might to they might harm the central government itself.
1: Um, I mean, maybe, probably not. I think the, the the trick with all of this is to set everything up on a very early stage that allows the cities to be win win. Um, and if a small government is fearful, first of all, small governments tend to be a little bit more flexible. So uh, my general recommendation for a small government is if you can implement the reforms for the charter city at a national level, you should probably just do that instead. A few years ago, I exchanged some emails with an advisor to the Rwanda government, and his point is. Um, if there is a good idea, Kagame will just adopt it at the national level, there's no need for a charter city, which is a pretty good point. Um, so many small countries could just do that instead. If a charter, if a small country does decide to use a charter city, um, I think that it is important to ensure that it's structured in a manner that accomplishes the national goals and makes the host country feel comfortable with the level of autonomy the charter city has. Will there ultimately be some impact on the, um, Uh, 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 Will there ultimately be some impact on the host country? Um, Probably. I mean, uh, uh, obviously independent courts have had an impact on countries and so have independent central banks. And so this is kind of a a, a relatively big change in traditional governance structures. Um, However, I think with the right amount of thought and preparation put in, it can be uh, a win-win to empower uh, both the the kind of local community as well as the, the national level community.
0: Okay, yeah yeah that makes sense okay so you talked about starting a religion is a good way to build city so can you please elaborate on this concept
1: yeah so i usually use that i guess tongue-in-cheek um yeah uh, one like the first way to start a city is that there's a natural economic reason so maybe there's a port or maybe there's a mine where people live and then after enough people live there the even um uh the 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 reason people live there isn't because the port isn't mine anymore, it's because a lot of other people live there. So if you think of New York City, for example, it has a port, but um, its success does not come from the port. Its success comes from everybody else living there. So the port um, served as the initial uh, tractor for agglomeration and now is no longer uh, as important. Uh, it's still useful, but it's not as important as it used to be. Um, another example uh, of how to build a city is if you're a government. If you're a government, you can just force all the bureaucrats to live in your new city, uh, and that's a way to overcome these initial agglomeration challenges. And so that uh, one example of that is Brasilia. Another example of that is Abuja. And the third rationale um, is to start a religion, and it's not really a religion per se; it's more of a strong civic identity. Um, so, for example, uh, and you need that to be coupled with persecution. So um, the, the Jews, for example, when they founded Israel, they had a religion, they had a strong sense of identity, um, and that was combined with uh, pretty severe persecution in mostly Eastern Europe at the time. I mean, they were getting persecuted everywhere, but most of the original uh, Israeli population was, was Eastern European. Um, um, uh, it, another example of that happening is uh, the Mormons, where the Mormons were a new religion, They were getting persecuted first in New England, then in Missouri, and then they decided, okay, let's go build our own kind of community. And they went to Utah and built Salt Lake City. And so the the kind of key challenge that a new city development needs to overcome is how to to agglomerate all of these people in an area where nobody currently lives. And um, a kind of religion or a strong civic identity where everybody is moving because uh, they are being persecuted by the people who kind of control the the area where they currently live, um, allows for coordination to, to overcome that challenge.
0: Yeah. So the reason I wanted you to talk about it is because like Bitcoin is this kind of this religion and Bitcoiners are hardcore religious people. So naturally they are kind of best candidate to build a city. And also this idea is quite popular in Bitcoin world. So do you have any opinions or views on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what the the purpose of the city is. I think Bitcoin is definitely going to um, change the the kind of nature of wealth. The statistic that's frequently bandied around is once Bitcoin is two hundred thousand um, dollars a coin, it uh, half the the billionaires in the world will be uh, Bitcoin owners. So there's definitely a lot of wealth. Um, I think uh, kind of it's not clear to me. It's it's sometimes referred to as a religion, but I don't think it's comparable to um, uh, right, like Judaism or Mormonism yet. Uh, maybe it will be in five years, maybe it will be in 10 years, but uh, you are seeing some, I guess, glimmers of that, where you are seeing kind of Bitcoin communities emerge, uh, where you've got a few dozen people who are, are fanatic about Bitcoin living together. Um, will that coalesce into something that is uh, uh, kind of sufficient? to have move a few thousand people to an area to over 30, 40, 50 years with hundreds of thousands of people to an area, um, maybe, but that's, that's, that's not quite clear to me yet. I think the other aspect is that, right? Bitcoiners aren't exactly persecuted. Perhaps they will be in the near or medium term or maybe long term future as the state tries to confiscate their wealth. But right now, um, uh, they, there is a established legal regulatory regime uh, I mean, maybe the mainstream media makes fun of them a little bit, but there isn't really the level of persecution that I think is necessary to drive mass migration to a, a new city development.
0: Okay. Okay. So coming on to this new cities concept, like charter cities are already starting to happen in some contexts, but how far do you think we are from creating new countries itself, like keeping aside projects like CIS and Liberland? Do you believe in this hypothesis of that we should have a lot of countries instead of just 200 to choose from?
1: Um, no, I think. Uh, I mean, 200 is a lot of countries already. If you look at like industrial organization, I mean, um, you can buy a Windows computer or you can buy an Apple computer. and The computer market works pretty well. Um, you can buy an Android phone or you can buy an Apple phone and the phone market works pretty well. You don't need that many different options to have a reasonably well-functioning market. The, the, the challenge is, um, I would say, much more around ideas of kind of what government should be and um, how to run it. And then, uh, um, uh, like, what, what – what if you look at how most countries – for most countries today are nation states, where there is a people that has a somewhat distinct identity And with that somewhat distinct identity, they have created a a modern country. In Africa, you have a lot of the countries that were basically colonial empires, former colonial empires that were carved up without a lot of care about who the people were and what kind of their their history was. So when there's this talk about, I don't know, creating a new country, it's not entirely clear to me what that would mean and what the benefit would be. if, at Charter States Institute, we focus on the on economic growth, um, and there you don't need a new country to attain economic growth. You just need uh, a, a, a little bit of uh, freedom and authority to create better um, economic rules, better economic institutions. Uh, so, and then two is that there isn't really any. There, there's not that much, um, I guess, land left over, right? Like maybe you could create a like high curvy island. And- or community or maybe even a city on that island for, for Bitcoiners, but is that a country? Um, does it need to be a country? What's the value of it being a country? Uh, none of that. None of that's particularly clear to me.
0: Yeah, And do you believe in the possibility of uh, new charter cities or nations on other planets? I know it's very far away, but still.
1: Sure. I mean, if we think about what the organizational structure of other planets is going to be, there's almost certainly going to be a high degree of autonomy. Like, think about Mars. I think it takes... Eight minutes for light to transmit from Earth to Mars, and so there's definitely going to be some connection and something because the Mars colony, at least in its very early its early stages, is going to be entirely dependent on um, Earth. Uh, but over, uh, for for resources, etc. Over time, right, I think the goal of any colony is to become self sufficient. And if we look at the evolution of of humans of, of history. Um, right if there's an eight minute communication delay and then if there is also a right like i don't know one year uh kind of transport delay depending on i think like the quickest transport is like what it's like 40 30 45 days to get to mars but because their the orbit is different from Earth's orbit that is the the shortest point and then you have to wait a year or more to to do another um, um uh shipment so because of that um I suspect there will be a very, that the moon is different because the moon is in Earth's direct orbit. So that that, that means the transportation is much easier. Um, But with Mars, I would fully expect once a a Martian colony is somewhat self-sufficient that they would push for self-governance. How deep that self-governance would be, who really knows, but um, it's, it's, it's definitely not going to be considered part of like America or part of China or whatever to the same extent that I don't know, Texas or Hawaii is
0: part of America. Yeah. Okay. And if you have to start a city from scratch, given full authority from the central government, which political philosophical concepts you will use the most? I mean, you have the governance structure in place already, but uh, if you have to start a city from scratch, given the full authority from the central government, how how would you proceed it from political philosophical constructs?
1: Yeah, well, I wouldn't proceed from political philosophy. Political philosophy is usually used to rationalize existing institutional structures. Um, what I would want to do, is, the way we think about um, the institutions of charter cities is kind of uh, on, on several margins. Uh, one is to have a strong state. Um, there's this kind of, the, the traditional dichotomy or, or discussion in the U.S. has been between a big and a small state, but not a strong and a weak state. Uh, But I think it's very strong states, like Singapore, for example, has a small state, but it's also a very strong state. Uh, Denmark has a strong state, but it's also a big state. Um, You have countries like Nigeria, which has a small state, but also a very weak state. And so I think having a strong state that can provide public goods, that can pave roads, That can provide education, et cetera, is very important for a a development. Um, And then in addition to having a strong state, also having a high degree of economic freedom um, or open business environment is also quite important. So making sure it's easy to register a business, it's easy to pay taxes, it's easy to hire people, uh, all of those things. And those, I'm not sure I'd call them as like political philosophies. But those kind of practical, on the ground aspects of uh, what what um, um, a is necessary for for a state are, are are what I would really focus on to to ensure that it, it can it can be successful, to track investment, and grow.
0: Okay, and do you have any plans to personally like uh, on the side to or build a charter city yourself? Uh no. Nope. Okay, okay. So looking at the future, how many charter cities? Uh, you see, let, let's say, 20, 30 decades from 20, 30 years from now?
1: Um, 20 to 30 years from now, Uh, I don't know. It depends on how strictly you define them. So if you say substantial autonomy, and maybe not all the way to Honduras level, but close to Honduras level, plus, let's say, minimum of 100,000 residents, Um, in 20 years, uh. I don't know, between five and ten. Getting a hundred thousand residents is really hard. Um, uh, in thirty years, maybe a dozen. Um, if you're talking about charter cities that have plans to get that many residents and have the land, but don't have that many residents yet, um, in twenty years it might be ten to fifteen, maybe twenty. Um, it's really difficult to say because there, there's a there's a wide range. If everything goes well, there could be a lot of people. Um, there could be a lot of opportunity, but it's very easy to also imagine that there are several substantial missteps in the early movement, and a lot of the momentum dies. And This is, for example, what happened with nuclear power, where a few well-publicized failures in the 70s basically turned the world off to nuclear power, and so I think it's very important in the early stages to minimize that the risk of these big public missteps and to ensure uh Progress and sharing the best practices to really get charter cities off the ground.
0: Okay, okay, that that uh, seems reasonable. So, what are your plans with CCI going forward?
1: So, um, our, with CCI, the way we're thinking of it is uh, to continue to uh, do two things. So, we act as a think tank. Uh, we put out papers. Uh, we've recently kind of are are in the process of finishing. Uh, our reference guides. And so we have model legislation, we have a model city charter, um, we have uh, uh, an introduction to charter cities, we're publishing a government's handbook. And so we view these reference guides as kind of an outline of what does it actually mean to develop a charter city in practice. Then in addition to this, we have several proposals for charter city projects in the Democratic Republic of Congo and Somaliland, In Libya, we don't expect any of these to really take off, but um, to start generating interest on what using charter cities as potential solutions for some of the challenges we face are. Uh, Then uh, what we are also doing is um, over the next two years, uh, we have a relatively heavy push to uh, engage um, people in the international development community, to engage governments, to really get charter cities on the global agenda. charter cities require multiple stakeholders it's very difficult to work in the world of atoms um and so we we see our broad goal as uh socializing charter cities amongst uh, a, a wide number of people to ensure that we're able to uh, really get things get things moving and and, and make it simpler for all entrepreneurs who are building charter cities
0: okay that, that is interesting okay so last three questions before we wrap it up so if you have to, if you have given a chance to go back in history and live in a particular time, which place and time you would choose from the history?
1: Well, obviously now is better than any other time. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, the other interesting times are like, I don't know, like ancient Greece with Plato would probably be cool. Um, you could also imagine turn of the century. Uh, 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 Venice, maybe you take a train to Paris, right? Like Venice was bubbling with knowledge at the time. Um, Perhaps to go uh, a little bit further back, you could imagine, right? Like Renaissance Florence also might be pretty cool to live in. Um, uh, But I don't know. I like having running water and like, um, uh, uh, yeah, modern amenities. So I'm pretty happy living now.
0: Okay. Okay. The second question is, it is very wild to imagine this, but I want your wild guesses like how the world will look like in thousand years from now.
1: Oh, geez. Um, who knows? My best guess is that humanity is probably dead because we blew ourselves up or killed ourselves in a virus. <laughs> okay. um, eh, right. I mean, if you have to think about. All right, like, yeah, I think the first question is what are the existential risks and have they been triggered? Assuming they have not been triggered, the next question is what type of technology are, have we achieved in a thousand years? We have probably achieved um, AGI, so our world is going to be extremely vastly different. Uh, um, we will probably by then be a multi-planetary civilization um, a thousand years is probably long enough, I suspect at that point we'll have a single world government. It'd be pretty surprising if we don't. Um I, I suspect almost all of our lives would be lived on platforms on online. Um, and there is the possibility that there would be M's, um uh, basically emulated people that would be kind of the dominant, I don't know, quote unquote semi-human life form uh but i it's that that's that's far enough i think it's it's actually that's pretty difficult to imagine
0: yeah. yeah okay last question do you think we humans are alone in this world or do you know um,
1: uh, well this world i mean there's animals but like intelligent life um universally uh like in the universe um i don't know right um uh, probably not There seem to be a lot more planets than we had previously suspected now now that our measurement technology has gotten better. Uh, So is there some, like uh, there was recently a suggestion that a paper that suggested that there was a fungus growing on Mars, um, whether that was was probably transported from the U.S. to Mars. But the fact that it's at least sort of surviving there suggests that life is much harder than we would otherwise expect. uh so my guess is that there is probably life somewhere else in the universe and whether there's intelligent life um that's that's really hard to to know the answer to my guess is also i don't know probably just because i don't think we're that special but i don't know this is this is mostly an uninformed guess at this point
0: yeah yeah sure okay that's it from now thank you so much mark for coming on and can you please let people know where they can find you and any last words?
1: sure um yeah thanks for having me on so you can find me on twitter uh, at uh mark Lutter. um uh listen to the, the the charter cities podcast where I'm a guest um you, you can find us at charter uh for the organization and uh yeah, i would love to to hear from you and to, to get to, to have you get involved
0: okay